Welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. Kavod Family exists for the restoration of families and the transformation of communities. Good morning and welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. We have a full house today. We have Travis, we have Tom, we have Jeffrey Epps. Good morning, gents. Morning, morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to get all of us together like this, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and it's rare. <laughs> yes, very rare. Jeff, how you been, brother? We, we, uh, we, it's, it's hard to get, to get you on because you have such a full schedule in the morning. You do a lot of boxing classes early on, right? What's the earliest class you have for boxing? Yes, so my earliest boxing class is 6 a.m. on Mondays and Wednesdays. And if you are not a part of that boxing class, why? Why are you not in that class? I don't understand. Come beat up on Jeffrey. He loves to take – don't you do it. Don't ask me why I'm not Are in you part. in that class, No, Casey? I'm not in that class. <laughs> Isn't he your doesn't, family? He doesn't like to get punched in the face. I think your family's in that class, right? I, I have a nephew and and uh, a niece. I've got a niece that could whoop my tail probably. About two years ago on Mother's Day, I put in a mouth guard and we got out in the field and I, and I was able to at least throw some punches on my nephews. Mm. But I'm looking at them now and there's no way. Dude, it's, it won't take you long to catch up. They would Seriously. throw some combos that would just – Embarrass me. Yeah, but I'm. I'm also I look like coach, a drunk so... Irishman just swinging wild when I fight. It's Don't do not that. good. Don't do that. Well, I I need training. I need a coach. But I last time you. you and I sparred, you just punched me in the eye and no, walked away. You stepped. No, they. Into you my all weren't sparring. <laughs> you were just talking. We were just talking, and he punched me in the face. <laughs> anyway, well, at least it wasn't in the throat. <laughs> So we are, uh, this is episode two, we are doing a three-part series on fatherhood, and we are talking about fatherhood because if anything, we want to get it in our, in our, our head that there is a good father that rules over all of creation. And the story of restoration is a story about lost sons being restored to a great, perfect, awesome father. That is the story of redemption. And Jesus is the one, is a perfect son that comes and makes that possible. And so if you've been struggling with father wounds, hurts, and pains from your own dad, the reason is, is because we live in a world where you truly probably are separated from the spiritual father. And all of us experience some kind of rough moments, broken moments from, from, from fathers, right? There's not a perfect father in this world. And so if you're trying to make your dad the perfect dad and him your God and make him the one that you follow all your life, you're missing the whole story. And so this, this life that you're living is a story about you being rescued and restored back to the heavenly father, your true maker, your creator, your true spiritual father. And so to talk about that today, we're going to be going through uh, a little bit of the, the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Um, we're not going to exegete this perfectly, but we're going to just use it as a framework and then dialogue and banter as we go through. Does that work, guys? Yeah. That works. Yeah, you, guys, it. you guys up for it? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's start with this. Do you remember what we said? We said, okay, so how many examples of good fathers do we have in the Bible? <laughs> and we went, oh, my gosh. But just let, Let's ask Jeffrey. Jeffrey, because you weren't a par- part of this conversation when the three no of us pressure. talked. Mm. Tell, us, tell, tell us the good fathers in the scriptures. Why are you struggling? Mm. Do you not read your Bible? I, I do read my Bible. Okay, but then I'm it, also this is thinking... an easy question. Who, who tell us the epic fathers in the scriptures, the ones that were just amazing? Well, I mean, are, are we talking about from a perfect standpoint, or are we just, just talking really about good, just really good, good really just good, good fathers? Go ahead. So you Abraham can do was a good father. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Like yeah. the fact that he gave his wife away to foreign kings and. And then, you know, like you said, slept with his maidservant and had children out of wedlock. So, hey, check this out, Jeff. What I love about this is these guys did this, not live. And we clowned each other the whole time, but they wait for you to get on and then they do it live. Oh, yeah. Well, they beat up on the guy who can beat up on them. How about David? Was he, was David a good father? Yeah. I mean, he, he was had, a man. He was a man after he God's was a own man heart, after right? God's own heart. But he had some things that were wrong with him. Oh, right? he had some yeah. things that yeah. were wrong. You know, yeah. adultery, like, murder. How about, how about Noah? Was he a stellar dad? I mean, did he just kill it after he got back on the land? He did not. No. <laughs> I mean, we went crazy trying to figure out who was really a great example of a father. And we said, okay. So. I had one example and you had another. I mean, this is why we're doing the prodigal son because yes. you said this is this one is of the best stories of, of a father. perfect father, right? And I said, I said, 
Paul and Timothy. And, and that's not even <laughs> his real father, but as a spiritual father, I see he, that. he was a pretty epic I had the better answer. Dad. Well, who was that? I said God. Well, you, come on. You can't just throw the God <laughs> card. Yeah, we can't beat that. And that's the whole reason, because he's the standard, isn't he? And yes. so he has set that bar really, really high. And he's saying, because he rebelled against me in the garden through Adam, okay, um, I have to teach you what a father looks like. And the only way I can do that is to what? Not make perfect examples, but to show you examples of what it looks like to fail and then you can show that or compare that to the standard that I've given you. Yeah. It, you know what's interesting is that when you're a kid, if you look at your dad, your dad is perfect, flawless. He's a hero, right? He can right. do absolutely anything. Superman. And then and then by the age of seven, eight, ten, you start to see some of his flaws and you start to jest and poke him a little bit about some of his weaknesses, right? But then as you get into your teenage days, you start to see your dad a little clearer. And you see some of his mistakes and you see some of the pains and, and like you, you begin to realize that your, your father's not perfect. Or maybe you, maybe unfortunately you had somebody that really did some terrible things and you realize it really early on in life. The one that is inflicting pain and hurt in my life is my dad. Mm. And if that's you, um, man, I, we're, we're praying for you. And, and, and we can relate, but I want you to understand that you are not the anomaly. The reason why we bring up these stories is that all of history is, is, is in large, in some sense, a history of failed fatherhood, you know, and that's why we reference this because even the scriptures, when you go back through these things, I mean, even the, the, the heroes of our faith, Lot makes it into heroes of our faith. And yet that is one of the worst fathers in scriptures that you can possibly find. That's right. You know, and so we live in a world of failed fatherhood. And primarily the point behind that is because God wants us to look beyond our fathers and but, connect with him. But also because sin came in. I mean, what better way for the devil, Satan, to destroy people wanting a father then having every father in this world be terrible. And then when you hear that God is the father, you don't want anything to do with that because your your role model, your track record of what you've seen of fatherhood is atrocious. Why would you want that? Skewed. But terrible doesn't have to be permanent. Exactly. And so what God did is he said, look, I, I know I'm the standard and I'm a pretty high standard to get to, but through repentance, through forgiveness, through an understanding that if you listen to me, if you actually behold me, then you'll become that good father, even though you make mistakes. So that's what we're dealing with today. Uh, gentlemen, if you're listening to this, if you're a dad and you're listening to this and you know God, um, I just want to encourage you that fatherhood, that title is probably the greatest title that you'll ever have in your life. If somebody calls you dad, if you are blessed and there's some little person in this world that calls you dad, that is one of the greatest, greatest things that can take place, titles that can take place. And so carry that, carry that well. Do everything you can to become a great father in the image of the perfect father. And so let's, let's dive into uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son, and we'll read through this and we'll talk about why the, the father of the prodigal son is such a great example. Well, I think we have to do this in context too, because it says in 15.1, it says, then all tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying that this man receives sinners and eats with them. So that's the major complaint. And so when Jesus hears this, knowing their wicked hearts, he's saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to tell him a couple of stories, three stories to be exact. I'm going to give you a story about a lost sheep. I'm going to give you a story about a lost coin. And then I'm going to finish it with this incredible story about a lost son. Yeah. And so, uh, so he starts off. What a buildup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. And, and each one is unique. Each one is a little bit different, but they're all about something that's lost. And so what have we lost? What is it that he's going to launch in about? Well, the fact that they're tax collectors and sinners is replicated of all of us. That's who we are. We are sinners. We are vile creatures. Our hearts are wicked because of sin. And we are disordered because we haven't aligned ourselves with what God's standard requires. So anyway, so let's get into the prodigal son. And so it says in verse 11, he says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them and his livelihood. Okay, so right off the bat, it starts off with a Jewish man having to give his son his livelihood. His son asks him for his livelihood. No son would ask before his father dies to get his inheritance. Every, every selfish son would ask for that inheritance early. <laughs> yes, yes. Incredibly Give me my portion now. <laughs> Give me my portion. Right. I am ready to be a man. Yes. You can just hear him. Right, but that was an insult because basically what it meant was is that the son wanted the father to die prematurely so he could get it. But since you're not doing what I want, I just want you to give me what you have mm. materially. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's symbolic of, of what all of us go through. There's a point where we value creation over the creator. There's but, a point where we love possessions over our parents, right? Check this out, though, because I've heard you say it a million times. You, when we built this this gym case, you had all your tools, and you're like, ah, oh, my dad gave me this one. And you spoke so highly of this tool that your dad gave you, left you. I mean, your dad's still alive, but it's, it's this idea. Like, my grandfather just passed last night, and he's got, ah, oh, I can't even imagine how many tools. He, he was a builder his whole life. The idea of me having that and seeing as a kid him work with it and me go grab it for him and hand him to him, there's a weight to that. Yeah. And there's an honor. But to come while he's alive and be like, hey, give me that. Just go ahead and die so I can have your stuff. Like that is like beyond disrespectful. And like you said, you're valuing the object less than the person, which was the aim of this whole thing is to be on Father for Father's Day to honor fathers. Yeah. And this is the epitome of not honoring a father. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? And if this is the perfect father, then he's insulting him and saying, you're not only not perfect, but I don't even care what you have to teach me anymore or anything. Just give me what you have, and I'm going to go out and eke out my own life. And there is that unbridled sinful independence that uh, is, is part of the nature of man. In sin, it comes out, out as as just independence, right? I don't need you. I'm good. Give me my stuff and I've got to go. The biblical picture for that was live under your father's roof until you're married and then leave and cleave to your wife and the two shall become one, right? There is a point where you separate from your father and mother, but this is premature. This is selfish. This is sinful. This is not the picture that is meant for sons and daughters. This is not what it's supposed to look like. Right. He might be a man physically, but he's not a man as far as maturity no. goes. He's he's not a grown-up man. I'm, I'm going to tease just a little bit before we get there. So while Tom reads this, you can be thinking of a different lens while you're reading. We had spoke on the last episode of how the aim is to contend for the heart, that God will use circumstances and, and, and things to get our heart and bring it back. And that's our aim as fathers is to grab our children's heart and bring it back to the Father. So in this illustration and this scene that has been set— Watch how the Father uses these circumstances that are about to unfold with the ultimate aim of his son's heart. Yeah, yeah the Father is farsighted. The Son is nearsighted. So he doesn't see the nose on his face. He can't because he doesn't have any experience. But the Father is loaded with experience, has been through what I would consider normal failures, and has seen, okay, my son is going way off the rails here. What do I do? I don't really have a whole lot of choice. I can't make him stay, and I can't make him love me. Those are huge. All right, so he says in verse 13, And not many days after he received his inheritance, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living or licentious living. Okay, so, so what did he do with the money that he had received? Exactly what we thought spent he would do. Worldly things, <laughs> right? He spent it on amusements. All right, and I want to I want to say that word amusements because the one of the most powerful industries in, in the that we know of in our world here in the United States is entertainment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it draws people to spend billions and billions of dollars every day on entertainment, and so the word amusement means well. What does muse mean? It means to think. Well, amuse means not to think. Wow. So when you spend your money on amusements, you're really wasting your money not to think. Wow. That's a different way to look at it. You know, that puts it into a big perspective for especially a lot of young people. 
you know, because they're so wanting to be amused. But to know that you're being paid or you're paying to not think and use your brain, that, that hits a little different. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think of when I sit in front of a television, I'm not really thinking. I'm being entertained. Right. Okay, I go to the movies. I'm being entertained by something that somebody else is doing, and I'm not thinking. And God wants us to get to a place where we're thinking clearly. And the way to think clearly is not to be entertained, but to actually use your brain that God has given you to think about the good things that we should be thinking about. We, we read about being vigilant. Keep your heart with all vigilance. That's not being amused where you sit there. I can't tell you how many times I've said it where I'm like, I just want to go home and watch a movie. I just want to turn my brain off. I just want to right. coast. Yeah. But, but we also said you become what you behold. Right. And, if, and if you put your, your eyes on the things that God wants us to look at, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are noble, these are the things that we are to think about. Why? Because they're not entertaining. They really require a lot of thought. Because why? Because they're hard to attain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's that's the whole point here is that he went to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Oh boy. There we go. Mm. So a Jewish boy is now in a far country, and the only job that he can find, because there is a famine in the land, and the only job he can find is to feed the one thing that Jews would have nothing to do with, and that is pigs. Mm. Okay? And then he finds himself having to feed these pigs in order to survive. That's the only job he has. So he's not just forsaken his father and taken possession. He's forsaken Really, everything that he's learned as a young man, everything that was valuable and imparted to him as a young man in his culture, for to be a young Jew, right? right. To live under Torah, to live under the law, to, to live a certain way, set apart to God rather than mixing with the things of the world, right? Turned and, his back on everything. Everything. Yeah. Hey, hey, where's his friends? Where's all know. of his buddies that he helped that helped him spend his 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 money? Where are they? <laughs> Did they abandon ship? Because they're de- definitely not there helping him feed swine. Oh man, it, it, isn't this the? I mean, we all have stories. All of us have stories about some point in our life where we have just sent it in the wrong direction, right? Yeah. To our own selfish desire and gain where we've just gone after pleasure and want and cravings. And and this is where we all end up. We end up in a place to where we are pursuing ourselves, right? We're living for our own selfish gain. All right. And so verse 16, he says, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Tom, can you elaborate on how the that culture views pigs, swine? Like how... Like, to, to us, that might be like, oh, he was hungry, but, like, there is a significant weight to that. Yeah, well, pigs represent an unclean thing. So it's like it's like eating something that – it's eating something that is decayed. It's full of bacteria. It's absolutely horrible for your insides. Listen, I know that God has given us all creatures to eat and stuff like that. I, I get all that. But there's some things that you just will not eat. Isn't that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. And in, in yeah. the kosher law, right, there was many other items that the Jews were asked not to eat, right? right. And there was a purpose. Most of these animals were the filthy animals of, of, the, of the land, right? And it was God's way of trying to teach them, look, don't mix with the things of this world. Don't mix with the cultures of this world. And so at the top of that ugly food chain was swine. I mean, this was the worst of the worst that someone, a Jewish boy, could go and... So beyond it just being disgusting, which we would all agree, eating next to pigs and with pigs, the same food is disgusting, but like it was their belief system, it was wrong. Yeah. Like he's completely at the low of lows. Right. And in the context of this story, he's speaking to Jews. And so they all went, ooh, when they heard that he was now feeding swine. Like you, like you mean you're standing there? And you're in the swine pit with them, and you're feeding them by hand. Like how Fully disgusting! And gone now, to the world. and oh, yeah. now he's Fully. gotten to the point where he wants to eat the food that he's feeding the swine because he's so hungry. Oh wow. man, that's rough. It's incredible. 
All right. So mm. obviously the circumstances are beyond his control. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And we're going to see this come full circle. But one thing I want to point out, there's a, there's a point here where there's this, this famine arose in the land. That famine actually becomes the greatest blessing to this boy's situation. Yes, because God has put him in a circumstance that is beyond his control. He has to live through this. He has to work through this. Right. And so I, I bring that up, just, and you're going to see it come full circle, but the point being made here is that oftentimes we look at famines or things in our life, especially when, when we're running from God. If things start to get bad, we just continue to heap up our justification for yes. why we don't turn to him, right? Yeah. Like, it's bad. It's even worse now. And, and they just full send it even farther away it's, from God. Well, it's like when people say, I got to get right before I come to church. <laughs> I, you know, uh, and, or I hear it in a workout. No, I got to get in shape before I start working out with you. And I'm like, that's, that's contradictory to what God wants you to do. He's, you don't. You don't get clean before you get in the shower. Right. And so <laughs> I read this and I think that famine is a gift from God. I look at it because I think that God ordains and rules over all things, including famines in the land. Yeah. And that this famine is a blessing to this young boy to help bring him back mm. to the father. Yeah. Okay. So, but you're looking at it as the father would because you know the end from the beginning. All right. We right. Were, okay. And so if you were the son and you were, you know, this is you. And so you're feeding these pods, and you're starving to death. Um, as far as you're concerned, there's only one other choice that you have, and that is to kill yourself, because he's starving to death. Yeah, this is the bottom of the barrel. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is this is the worst scenario that could ever happen, and how in the world am I going to survive this? You've left your family, your brothers, right? You've left your father. You've left your home. You've left all provision you left you, everything that was good in your life. You wasted your inheritance. Right. You ran to a foreign land. You're now living amongst foreigners. So you are an abject failure. And you're at the bottom of the foreign food chain. Like you have now become the waste of, of the world. Right. Like that's where he's at. And and you never thought for a second, and there's that amusement word, you never thought for a second that it would ever turn out this way. You had visions of grandeur. You thought you were going to open businesses up. You thought people were going to love you, that every life was going to be great. And yet it didn't turn out that way at all because God had a different plan. Mm. Man, it, that is such a reality. If You need to know this. If you're trying to find your value in this world and you just feel like, oh, I've never settled it, I've never found it, it's because you never will. Right. You're never going to find contentment in this world. You're always going to need to find your identity in God. Yes. And 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 that's what this story is about. So what do we find our identity in? So he was finding his identity, hoping that he would find power, prestige, people, possessions, position, pleasure. He thought he was going to have all of those things at his beckoning call because he was loaded when he left home. And now all of a sudden, before he knew it, it was gone, and he is feeding pigs with food that he would eat in order to survive. Yeah. It's wow. incredible. So the very next verse says, but when he came to himself, okay, so that tells me he is now a desperate person, and he is doing the desperate thing. What is he doing? Thinking clearly for the very first time in his life. Yeah. Mm. Because of the circumstances. So when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Okay, so wow. so is he making a plan? No, I, well, he is, yeah. isn't he? It, yeah. yeah. I don't know if he's got a full-blown plan, but I think the the point is he came to himself, this great realization like, man, my God is my, – my father was good. Yeah. Like, like that's where provision was. That's where life was. That's where home was. My father's even good to his servants. He's not just good to his sons. He's good to all the people around him. My my dad is a good dad. Like that's what he's recognizing. Right. And he and he has always been that way. So he can't deny the reality of who his father was, even though what he basically hated him. He left him because you know, as far as he was concerned, he wasn't anything that he could be far better than his own father. And then what did he find out? He failed. Yeah. 
he failed. He wasn't anywhere close. He, in fact, he became the opposite of what his father became. So he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. So when he says, I will, that he is he's talking from his intellect. Yeah. Yeah. He is saying in his brain, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to tell these things. Now, the question is, is that a sign of repentance? And the answer is no, not really. Okay? It's not repentance because why? He's only thinking about it intellectually. Okay? He's first time in his life he's thinking clearly about something because of his circumstances have forced him to think clearly. And so what is happening? He is now thinking clearly. And so intellectually, he says, you know, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. I'm going to go back to him. I'm going to tell him that I've blown it and that, you know, take me back, please, because, you know, I'm starving. I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the lowest thing he could ever do. So I'll be honest, and I'll go and tell my dad this, okay? Now, wait a minute. Make me like one of your hired servants. Okay, so I'm not worthy to be your son, but I'm still worthy to be a hired servant? Well, I'm sorry. I wouldn't hire him. Mm. <laughs> yes. That that point, though, where you realize who you truly are. I mean, what he's finally saying, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, that's truly who the son was back when he was living in the household, when he was living with a cold heart to his father, what caused him to say the things, give me my inheritance, I'm going to go out the door and do this, is still that same person. He's just finally owning up to it. He finally sees what's in the mirror, right? Right, And, and that's what happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. There's a point with all of us where we look in the mirror and we realize, man, I am a rebel before a good and, and loving and kind father. You know, like I love myself over God. I pursue myself over the things of God. I want for myself rather than want for the things of God. I love me more than I love God. Yeah. Like all of us find, well, uh, that's the point we need to get to. That's the point of realization that helps us repent in turn. Okay, so then the object of this story then is that there has to be a change in this uh, young man's heart. There has to be a change in his mind and in his heart to realize that something has to change. Oh, oh, it's me. <laughs> it's not the circumstances. I can't change those, but I can change me. And so when I've asked men, when in this story did he actually repent, you'd be amazed, but 90% of the time, they call out the wrong verse. <laughs> Many times they'll say it's when he came to himself, and, and that's not true because I change my mind all the time. And all he did was change his mind about his circumstances. This is what I'm going to do. Is what he's planning on doing. It's not that it's not. It's it's not repentance, but it's certainly in the right direction of repentance. But it's not repentance. The answer is in verse twenty. When he arose and came to his father, that was actually repentance. Because even though he planned to go, he never made it to his father until he actually went to his father. Right. Mm. But but tr- and yes. so repentance is an action. It's something that you do. Okay. And so in this case, he realized, okay, I'm thinking clearly. This is what I'm going to say to my dad. But he still doesn't know any of that stuff until when. Till he goes to his father and he actually walks that out. Now, because now this is the great part of the story that we really don't see here written. Well, I'll, hold on before you go ahead. I'll just say one thing: if that internal realization is real, okay, I, I call it. If if faith is real, if belief is real, if you can come to the point where you cry out and you say, "Abba, Father," like God. Like, I'm seen differently. I'm seen differently. I may not have started to change and repent and walk those things That's out. That's a start. But if that spark to see and to think, mm-hmm. right, the eyes of my heart have been enlightened so that I can see differently. That's what's happened. And if that spark is real, it will flesh itself out in repentance. It will cause you to act. That's right. It yes. will cause you to act. And, and, so- and that always happens. Like, we always have that realization before we can repent. Right, you don't find yourself turning and doing the right thing, and then you realize, oh, I just repented it. No, like there's it this work that way. <laughs> there's this mourning and there's this heartbreak, and then you you have to turn from the filth and walk to the light. Right. right? Well, that's exactly what happened here because yeah. his his circumstances were so incredibly de- dire, okay, and desperate. Um, he started thinking clearly. 
and he started to see his father for who he was and how he would have he benefited so much with his father but now he's not with his father anymore and he realized he wasted everything that his father gave him and he basically wasted his life yeah. and so now he's desperate and so he's hungry and, and that's the point. And so that's what caused him to change. But repentance didn't happen until he came to his father. All right. So I think this is key. So he arose and he came to his father. But, I love buts in the Bible, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. All right. This is where we are at. This father, this incredible father. And, 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 uh, I got I got to say to you Casey when we were talking about this yesterday I envisioned this father um every day having his eye on the road that led out of his property way that one road to where his son was going to one day reappear yeah. and he was going to see his son a far way off so no matter what he was doing if he was working he was always looking up every now and then to see if his son was going to come back today is he here today is he going to come back today and he's always looking 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 and many days goes by and then finally he sees the top of a head then he sees a face he sees an emaciated face he sees an emaciated body but he recognizes the gate of his son and he realizes, oh my gosh, he's home. And so what is so undignified for him is he gathers up his robe and he runs. This rich man runs down this long road. He's probably never ran in his whole life. But for this boy who's lost and now he's back home again, oh my gosh, you know, all bets are off. I'm running to him. I don't care what's happening. He's home. And what does he do? His one goal is to fall on his neck, to hug him, to kiss him, to embrace him because he's missed him terribly. That's his heart. And that's God's heart. That's the way he feels for every son who has rebelled against him. He's just waiting for him to come back to him. What an expression of love. Mm. You know, and and why his son has failed. And there's another thing in there too that this shows. You know, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Right. You know, right. like you said, the repentance, the turning back, the moving back towards his father. He drew near to his father, moved in that direction, and his father saw him and immediately drew near to him. All right, so it's a touching scene, mm. and the boy. Remember, he rehearsed what he was going to say. But to- <laughs> Right? Yeah, but just just apply it practically. If you're a dad, my goodness, your children, they're going to do terrible things. You have to know this. Sin has to be exercised out of your child. In many ways, we train and discipline our children in the ways of the Lord, and we train them up in the way of the Lord, right? But then there's a great redemption that has to happen, a great rescue of their heart that has to happen. Until that happens, your children are prone. They're going to do things. They're going to be like this prodigal that look you in the eye, and they're going to say, give me my inheritance. I need nothing to do with you anymore. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm gone. I'm out. And that can be the kind of wound to where many fathers will never open themselves up again to their sons. I mean, there's a lot of dads out there that are so hurt by things that their children have done that they have literally built a wall between them and their sons, and it's a rigid wall. It's probably the most hurtful thing that happened to this father was to have his son say, basically, I want what you have materially, but I want nothing else. I just want to get away from you. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he was hurt deeply. But notice in the story, he never chases down his son. No. He never goes out goes there out to... to get him and bring him back home. He never does any of that. Instead, I view this father as the praying father, you know, praying to his father, right. Father God, and saying, God, you know all things. And so please cause his circumstances to make him think clearly. And, and we know that he had a, an eye on that road looking yes. for the day, expecting. He was Ex- hopeful. Well, he but was, he was expecting too, I believe, God to answer his prayer. Yes, because yes. why? Because he, he loved God. And, and, that's, so, and that's the way we should be to any child in our home yes. or a person that's offended and taken from us and hurt us in some great fashion. We should want restoration at yes. all cost. Right. And, so, and so God's great theme is that we are to forgive others. Why? As God has forgiven us. 
because all of us have failed. We've all failed. And so if we can forgive our sons and daughters, we can also learn to forgive other people too. Man. You know, when I, when I came running to God, when I found God, uh, so much of my life changed. So much of what I was doing, my activities, life, my friends, your whole world gets reshaped because you're, you've literally put on this new lens of life and you look at everything differently. Uh, certain things bother you now that didn't bother you before. The way that people act, the people you hang out with, the time, just everything is different, right? And, and God changes you. The thing that God didn't do, he didn't hold me accountable for the years of rebellion in my life. He didn't make mm. me pay that fine. And you'll see in this story, the father doesn't co, you know, stand there and say, son, you're welcome back in, but you need to pay me back my inheritance. Right. Give me back me. my money. You right. owe me. You owe me. Right. And, and that is the grace of God. That is the mercy and love of our heavenly father is that he has found a way to pay your fine. He's found a way through his son, Jesus, to pay your fine so that when you come to him, when you turn, when you fall on broken knee and look up to the father in heaven and say, please, I beg of you, receive me. There is mercy and love that he pours out like this father that is just longing, longing to kiss you on the neck, longing to welcome you into the home, longing to make you the thing that you rightfully are, a son, right? Longing for the day where you will realize who you truly are, and that is a son of the Father. That, that's the picture here. That is, that is, that is an incredible grace. It's, an, it's the kind of love that is impossible to find in this world. Yeah, you, you can't wrap your mind around this. this it's, it's so big. This forgiveness that God has is always uh, showing us that it's available. You know, this forgiveness, it doesn't matter what you have done. That's the thing that always impressed me. God, your love is so deep that it doesn't matter to you what I've done because I've done horrible, horrible things. And God says, no, my son, is as, as long as you're looking to me to help restore you back to the place of sonship or daughtership because, because I created you for much better. You know, and so I want to see you flourish. I want to see you thrive in those things. And the only way that's going to happen is if you want to more than you want to do your sin. Yeah. You know, and so that's what real love is. And and so this father loved. Would you agree? He he loved his son more than anything. I'll tell you why. Because now he's rehearsed this this whole thing all the way home. I know he has because I've done this a million times. I get in an argument with Holga and I immediately <laughs> go outside and I rehearse what I'm going to say back to her because I'm right about whatever yeah, it is. You're and so, let her know. Yeah, and so he's going to he's rehearsed all the way home and he says to his father, after his father has fallen on his neck and kissed him and hugged him and everything with great compassion, right? He says and the son says to him, this is all he has. He doesn't say, Father, I love you. I miss you. I can't believe I did. what." No, this is what he says. The son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is the point that he saw how I've hurt you, is that I've lost my place yep. in your eyes. I've lost my place. I'm no longer your son Okay, and the father basically cuts him off because that's okay. That's what you have to say. I see that you have repented. How has he seen that he's repented? Well, he just looks at his clothes. He looks at his fact that he has no shoes on. <laughs> he looks at his emaciated <laughs> face. He hasn't eaten in days, yeah. maybe weeks, and and all he has eaten was not very nourishing. And so he is a wreck of an individual. So he can just physically see that his son is a skeleton and that his life is ruinous. He can see it in his eyes. And he's rehearsed this story. And he probably has all he had the strength probably to do was to make it there and then tell him this rehearsed story. Mm. And the father says, okay, that's it. This is not the point. Let me show you what the point is. If you want to interject on that. No, no. Uh, it, I mean, what, <laughs> you're you're just so right on what he does. I mean, uh, let's just keep going. All right. So, so the father says to the servants, "Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Okay, and bring a fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry." 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be merry. All right, so so what's the point here? I mean, the father, did he did he miss it? Did he you like, see Jeff trying to slip out? Yeah. What, what you got class you gotta run out to? I gotta go teach kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> love having you on the show, brother. Man, love being here, guys. We're gonna wrap this up without you and Travis. Both of you guys had to step out, you had things to take care of. Uh, but let's not interrupt this thought because it's so good. Let's just go back to him and finish up. But the well, I father that, said to his servants, right. bring quickly the best robe. The best robe. Okay, so he had no clothes worthy of anything. So what did the best robe mean? It meant the best robe from his closet. Okay, so he was going to clothe his son with the father's righteousness. Yep. He was going to say to his son, look, I'm restoring you back to sonship. Why? Because I see that my son, as awful as you were when you left here, you were always my son. And now that you're back with, a, with a, obviously a clear mind, with clear thinking, I see that you have repented, and so your sonship has been restored. You were never not my son, but now you're more my son than you've ever been because you have gotten to a desperate place where you were thinking clearly. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so I'm restoring you, and, and the way to do that is by the uniform you're, you're going to be wearing. Yeah. So you're going to be identified by all the servants because you're wearing my robe. Yeah, the ring on his hand, that's a family that's ring. That's a family it represents. Ring you know, authority and weight right. and rule. And only slaves were barefoot, yeah. okay? But but dignified men who were free, they wore shoes, okay? And so sandals were brought. And so these were all signif- signifying a complete restoration of his son back to sonship. And, and, and you see, see, the thing is the father is seeing something different than just external. Verse 24, let me read that. This is, this is the point. The father says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Okay, so he was dead by the son's choice, not the father's choice. Okay, the son basically died because he left the father. Okay, and so in doing that, in rebellion, he was dead, not dead to the father, but dead in his own ways, dead to his, well, Dead to his licentious living. Well, yeah, dead to the family, dead, you know, lost from the family, separated from the family. It's the kind of language that scribes who we are when we're separated from God, right? That is the exact same language. For this, my son, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. That's the way that Jesus speaks about the lost sheep coming to him. It's the way that a Christian describes what they went through when they came to know God. I was dead inside. But now my heart is alive to God. I was lost. I was estranged from God. But now I'm found and I belong, right? That's exactly how I was when I realized that God was beckoning me to come to him and that he had made my circumstances in life all draw me to himself. I realized that all my life I had never been thinking clearly because had I been thinking clearly, I would have considered God and and all that he had for me, all his goodness, all his forgiveness, all his grace, I would have considered that a much higher thing than the things I was striving for. Right. And so that's what happens to this prodigal son, is he realized that his father was everything, and that he needed to learn from his father, and he needed to be close to his father. He needed to behold his father with a clear mind and a clear heart. And the father in this picture has such an understanding of what needed to happen. I mean, I would imagine for years he probably watched the rebellion of his son. Yes. And so every day disintegrate. Yes. More and And then his son eventually just said, give me my inheritance and let me go. And so no matter how many times he corrected him, no matter how many times he was gentle to him, he probably tried everything under the sun. He would rebuke him. He would punish him. He would even scourge him. And all his son did was get further and further away. Right. And now for the first time in forever, your son is recognizing the filth of his own heart. Right. And he's he's realizing the value of a a father and what the father is to him. And he's coming home just, just pleading, please welcome me. So like, how please. so how about this? We said that he came to himself, right? Yeah. So was it a mirror 
that reflected what he looked like? Is that what made him come to himself? I mean, isn't it interesting that he actually physically became what he was inside? Yeah, I mean, there's a point where we recognize, yeah, where we see it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you can't smell, or you can't you can't smell your own stink, right? You just can't recognize well, your would... own odor at times, and then until you get a whiff of it, you realize, holy, holy moly, you know, this... I stinketh. Yes, right. So and... Paul, Paul, right? He was uh, a murderer. He was chasing down Christians. He was dragging them before the council to be convicted of of basically blaspheming. And so what does he do? What does he do? He gets knocked off his horse and he's struck with blindness. Why did God strike him with blindness? Because he was spiritually blind to God. And so he needed to make him see his own blindness by making him physically blind. So he came to the end of himself and he was radically changed. That's no different than what happens in this story. So Tom, real quick, because we're going to wrap this up. We're not going to finish this story and go through the other brother and all the details there. Uh, But let's just kind of overview real quick. The father in this picture in many ways is symbolic of, of God. Uh, you know, it doesn't exactly say that, but the way that he responds to the son is exactly how the father responds to us spiritually when we come to him. He changes our identity. He changes immediately our inheritance. You could go to Ephesians and just read immediately. You don't have to earn this new inheritance. You don't have to earn this new robe that you You put on. You can't. (laughs) And so when you come to God like like the prodigal son, when you come to him, Immediately, your identity and nature and, and everything about you is changed. And authority and weight is given to you to where you can pray and intercede for others. You can talk directly to God. Like, it's just everything changes, right? Your, your standing in life is automatically different because you are reconnected with the Father, you know? But let's talk about the Father and how maybe as dads, as fathers in this life, as we prepare for fatherhood, how can we be like this Father? How can we be like this father for our children? What are some of the great qualities about him that we should always hold on to and never let go of? Well, it's not said here, but this father obviously had a great faith, and his his faith in his father, Father God, okay, obviously guided him to yeah. become a great father because God is the source, right? And so if he's the source of all that is good, and he is, okay, then there's only one that we are to look to to find out how is it that I become a good person? How is it that I become a good father or a good mother? Oh, 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 God, you've already laid this out. You've laid this out in your word. You've written us this love letter, basically, every book in the Bible, He's given you this love letter to explain his thoughts towards you and towards me, yeah. and that this is how I feel, and, and I'm giving you some guidelines, I'm giving you some commands, I'm giving you some information so that you can be transformed. And with my help, with my help, you can be transformed. Uh, I'll give a couple of of things external and then internal characteristics about this father that I love. Externally, um, I think it's right for all fathers to strive to have the kind of home and possessions that are a blessing to his children. Uh, I'm not saying that all of us have to be wealthy and rich like this man with servants that work for us and all of those things at home. But we should strive to have the kind of home that is welcoming. It's enjoyable for a son to be in. If you have a home that's just chaos— and there's barely enough means to get by. If that's the the struggle that you're in, you're not depicting to your children the type of provision that Father, our Heavenly Father, actually has for us. You know, I'm I I don't live in a very large home. I live in a smaller home. It's a three two, uh, but my wife and I strive to make it the kind of home that is welcoming and comfortable for our children, so that way they don't despise it. Listen, uh, how many people have? big, huge houses, but they don't have a home. They're empty. They're empty, right, because they don't have the love that you have for your kids and your wife. It's not the size of the home. It's the love that's in the home. You know, kids come out of poor homes all the time, and they turn out to be remarkable people. So it's not the state of your material possessions. That is not the point of this story. No. So, yeah, um, I mean, I know many, many rich people Okay, they have big houses and they have many houses, but they have no home. Right. And so they're dying inside. But but the, we should strive to be the kind of father to where when our sons run off, they recognize, oh, when I was at home with my dad, 
I always had enough food. I always had clothing. I was always provided for and protected. That's right. Like I was always taken care of. He was a good father. That's That's what we want to reflect to the world and to our children. We want to be like God in those ways. Right. And that father obviously was raising his, his, both his sons with a legacy mindset. Okay. In his mind, he was saying, you know, I need to pass something down to them, not just these things, these material blessings, but I need to pass something down that's far more important. I need to pass down things of eternity. And those things of eternity are the legacy of my faith, believing in our Heavenly Father, so that they would understand that the reason I am the way I am is because God transformed me from my failures and made me into the man that I am today. Well, if you've stuck with us, we are, golly, 52 minutes into this episode. It's a little bit longer one, but it's always good to sit down and read straight through the scriptures like this and just talk through it. Uh, and, and, and so this story, dads, if you're still with us, sons, if you're still listening here, there is a great heavenly father that wants to rescue and redeem and restore relationship with you, just like this father in the story of the prodigal son. Uh, if you are a prodigal son yourself, if you've ran off, even just estranged from your own family, it's time to recognize the value of what your parents were. Even if they weren't perfect, there's a sense of honor that we should all have and Father's Day is a great time to pick up the phone and call dad if you haven't talked to him in a while uh, or to call your grandfather and connect with him again and just honor him for being the man that he was and being the provider and the caretaker and, and the human being that he was in your life. Love on him in those ways. But go beyond that this Father's Day. Go beyond it and make time and to get alone, maybe even you know, this week moving up to Father's Day, get alone and just begin to thank the Heavenly Father, the, the true Father over all things, for all that He has done over your life, for all the ways that He's provided, for all the ways that He's protected, for being there standing open-armed like this Father and welcoming you and kissing you on the neck and greeting you back into the family and, and calling you His Son. Like If that experience has taken place for you as a son or a daughter where you've been restored back to the Father, just give Him thanks this Father's Day. Enjoy it. Have a good Father's Day. Uh, connect with the, the men in your life that have blessed you and been good fathers that have represented the true Father well. And then take time to to thank the true Heavenly Father. And and that's that's what the aim of this podcast was. Amen. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Kavod Family Podcast. Please like, share, and leave us a review. If you've enjoyed this content, or if you're familiar with some of our programs and partners in the Kavod Family Network, please consider becoming a donor at Kavod Family slash donation. God is in the process of restoring all things to himself. That begins with the person. That person is part of a family, and that family belongs to a community. Kavod Family is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry.